You're listening to the Direct Trade Initiative Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Park, and today we'll be talking to Professor Joel Kim, covering part two of our discussion about the Korean American church. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Direct Trade Initiative Podcast. I'm Justin Park and today we'll be talking to Professor Joel Kim about the current state of the Korean American Church. I have the privilege of introducing Reverend Joel Kim. He is an ordained minister in the PCA. He has served uh, as the associate pastor of a PCA church in Los Angeles. He is currently the assistant professor of New Testament at Westminster Seminary, California. Hello. Nice to meet you, Justin. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit about um, what you do now, some background about what kind of ministries you were a part of in the past, in the present? Yeah, um, as your introduction indicated, I currently teach at West, Westminster Seminary, California. That's what I've been doing for the last 10 years or so. But meanwhile, uh, I was serving until about last year at a church called New Life Fullerton as their assistant pastor helping with the Korean ministry and the English ministry. And before that... And, and took the call here. I was serving in L.A., uh, serving at his church as an English ministry pastor for some time. Wow, okay. Uh, when did you start teaching here at Westminster? 2000, 2005, it seems. Oh, okay. uh, I think that's how long it's been. I, my daughter was born the month that I started here, so that's how I measure. Wow. 11 years is basically the length of time. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about, about your family? Sure. Um, I'm married to a lady named Sharon Kim who is a social worker. So she works at a local hospital here working with underprivileged kids. And she is the one who kind of keeps our family grounded, keeps me grounded. I have two little children. Anna is the older one. Um, She's 11 years old in sixth grade. Simeon is nine. Uh, He is, uh, he's in third grade. Uh, We named them after the two characters that appear in Luke chapter two, who recognize the baby Jesus being presented at the temple. Uh, the hope is that as we think and pray about our children, they, they, they too will become witnesses for Christ. Honestly, I mean, we had the names picked up before we had the children. So, you know, uh, if there were two boys, they would have been named Anna and Simeon and girls would have been Anna and Simeon as well. But we're, we're, uh, we're delighted to be their parents and um, they're wonderful kids. So uh, what I wanted to do in, in this episode is talk a little bit about, about the Korean American church, specifically sure. the second generation Korean American church. Mm-hmm. Um, the first episode was with Pastor Steve Park, and I think he has a better grasp on the first or first generation Korean American church or just Korean church, I guess, in general. Um, so and that's from one perspective. Um, he's Korean guy. He's in the KAPC, the Korean American Presbyterian Church. Uh, you, I think, would come from a different perspective, maybe a, a broader perspective in a different area as well. Uh, you're from the PCA. Um, so the first question, I hear that uh, you, you've had a lot of exposure to the second generation uh, Korean American church. Um, what would you say is the current state of the second generation Korean American church right now? I think that's an interesting question. I, I, I think it would be unfair for me to say I'm a second generation per se. Um, I came to the States when I was 10, and so I'm a child of immigrants as well as an Im- immigrant myself. And so I think the best way to describe myself, um, a lot of people talk about 1.0, 2.0. I'm like in 1.8, <laughs> um, generally in between first and second generation, leaning towards second. 
A majority of my ministry experience has been among the second generation. So in that sense, my comfort level is toward the second generation. I do think this is an exciting time. It, um, for a long time, if we think about the English ministry since the 1980s or so, we've had a lot of different ministries geared toward primarily English-speaking Korean Americans. But now there's a huge diversity in terms of people's engagement. We still do have... Korean American churches where you have an English ministry that participates as a part of a larger whole, no longer as departments, although there are many churches that consider the EM to be a department only, but a lot of larger EMs uh, that have independent budget as well as leadership that take the uh, both the agenda and the mission of the church in a direction that's unique for the second generation. We do see a lot of second-generation folks who are now church planting, oftentimes multi-ethnic in terms of their makeup as well as direction, that are doing fairly well by the grace of God. That in Southern California as well, we have a number of churches uh, that are uh, faithfully serving the Lord, whether it's Reformed or not. It really doesn't matter at this stage in, in many of these areas. These churches have... Uh, their own pastors and staff, large budgets that are functioning very well and serving the Lord faithfully. And then there are many other Korean Americans who are second gen who are finding it possible to serve in ministries beyond, let's say, the Asian American uh, and, and a more majority culture settings where they're able to serve as an assistant or associate in different places or perhaps leading those ministries as well. So we have different avenues of engagement as Korean Americans much more so than, let's say, 20 years ago when I began ministry. And I think it's an exciting time in the sense that the big umbrella of God's church is much more mixed and diverse than we give it credit for. And there are different avenues of engagement for pastors and different churches that are available for them to serve and different places where these second-generation Korean Americans can actually attend. Um, do, do you have the opportunity to speak at a lot of different Korean American churches? Yeah, Um you know, it's interesting being at a seminary. One of the huge advantages you have is that while you are associated with an individual church, you have the benefit and privilege of being able to visit different churches and serving the congregations in those areas. So you have a, a, a perspective where you can visit these churches, see how the Lord is working in them, and to see some of the similarities and differences. The kind of distinction I made before, there are a lot of churches with an English ministry that you get to speak at, a lot of churches that are independent that you're able to speak at and engage with, and different kinds of churches in terms of uh, theological boundaries as well as the makeup of the churches are some of the opportunities that you have to go and see and actually uh, minister to them in that context. So yeah, that's been true. Um, so you know, even just recently, you know, you go to a church that's primarily Asian American and and or Korean American in, in terms of who they are outside of our reform circles, and then you get to visit in a couple of weeks. I'll be visiting the EM congregation where the congregation is within the larger umbrella of the church. And so you get to see a lot of mix and diversity. What do you see as the biggest differences between those two types of second-generation Korean-American ministries? I think the and this is going to be somewhat difficult only because I don't have the intimate knowledge of every one of these churches. And it's it's easy for me to generalize without actually knowing the situation 
as a whole. And the second thing is oftentimes generalizations only get certain points right. Mm -hmm. Not everything can be generalized this way. I will say one, I think, important element of difference is ownership uh, of the ministry. That is, when you have your own budget, when you have to make determinations about your own staffing, when you have to think through and pray through your particular vision for the church, it allows for a sense of ownership as, you know, the, the simple thought, this is mine, we are responsible for this, and that we have to devote both our time and resources to uh, continue this ministry, I think is a big factor in terms of difference. This is not to say that the English ministries do not have a sense of ownership. It's a it's a degree of difference. It's a gamut. And I think there's a heightened sense of ownership uh, when you are able to make decisions in, uh, in this way. I think the second level of difference is um, simplicity versus complexity. That is, in order to make a, a decision within an EM context, there are different levels of engagement and conversations that have to take place. You have to be mindful of preferences, personalities, and needs. And some of those questions are very important and that you know you have to be mindful of them whereas the work isn't easier but the kind of sophistication necessary to uh, uh, make these decisions are simplified in terms of different uh, groups of people that have to be engaged in making such decisions and so while there may be many other things uh, i think those are a couple things that one can notice right away so speaking on that topic of uh, having to almost maybe jump through more hoops when you're when you're with the KMEM. New Life Fullerton, is that, what kind of church is that that you serve that? So the church is an interesting one. Uh, it's been around for over 20 years, serving the church very faithfully. Um, it's a church that has, uh, the best way I can describe it is one roof with two churches within. Um, the unique situation there is that the English ministry has been as big as or bigger than the KM for much of its history. That's not true for many EMs. When you are maybe the 10% or 20% of the size of the KM, the decision-making as well as your participation is quite a bit different than when the EM and KM are equal to one another in size and budget. And so I do think such circumstances alter the way one views the relationship in many ways. But it is two congregations under one roof under the leadership of the KM pastor, in this case, Samuel Park, Pastor Samuel Park, with a EM pastor who is an associate named uh, Will Chang, Reverend William Chang, that allows for them to work together with a session that's actually bilingual. Uh, they meet separately, but they also meet together to make some bigger decisions for the church. What do you think were some good things and some difficult things with um, working within this KMEM structure because I think a lot of uh, second, you know, 1.5 second generation Korean American pastors they they want to move away from the Korean church because of maybe they've been burned in the past or or they find it really difficult to work with uh, certain types of people. What are some good things and what are some really difficult things? What are your backgrounds in them? You know, how how have you dealt with those things in the past? If I can just take this question outside of New Life Fullerton, because Definitely. it's a wonderful church. I have experience there at the same time. It's not just about one particular church. And if I can tackle the question by dealing with some of the negatives first, because okay. uh, it is true that I think 
Um, forgive me if this sounds too uh, raw in some ways. I do think that there are a lot of second generation pastors and leaders who have uh, a lot of emotions and feelings about the can that are that are negative. Mm. Some rightly so, some not so rightly. There is a certain kind of um, um, a, you know recovery period that is necessary, and sometimes these things take a long time for us to overcome them. Part of that involves some of the uh, the difficulties. Um, we recognize that there is a much more hierarchical system in a Korean church when it comes to leadership than let's say in a more democratized American system or second generation system. This hierarchical system is always quite a bit difficult because mm. oftentimes the, the there is such a strong line between those who are seniors and associates, elders and non-elders, etc. It's less about gift space and office space than understandably so. And that kind of hierarchy is very difficult for people to understand and oftentimes accept. Mm. Um, we also run into difficulties oftentimes because of simply communication. Koreans tend to uh, speak in a very circumspect way. It's, you know, you speak around. Um, whereas the second generation is much more direct. This is how they're raised. So, for instance, when you say things like, uh, let's say, in a first-generation context, somebody's holding a party, and the person comes over and says, hey, can you come by, Pastor? If you are talking to a second-generation person, you say, oh, I have to think about it, and the person says, you know what, you don't have to come. It means you don't have to go. With a first-generation, when he says, oh, you don't have to come, it means you have to go. Huh. Uh, there is a subtext and a context for such conversations that are very difficult for those who are raised here, um, and, and, and educated here to understand. That kind of code switching is not something that's really easy and sometimes it just becomes tiresome. And so even when things like job descriptions, expectations, are communication issues that are very difficult, I think. And then you get to the whole issue of priorities. There are different priorities. I mean, uh, to, to give you one example, a lot of the first generation ministries are really program driven. A lot of the churches, as they grow, there are a lot of programs that fill every night of the week, mm -hmm. and they use the building fully on a regular basis. From that perspective, the second generation ministry, which is often built on relationships and this kind of uh, um, less programmatic way, seems almost lazy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, less ministry. These are priority issues, however, mm -hmm. uh, and, and oftentimes lack of conversation uh, allows for misunderstanding. And, and, and to... Uh, uh, to mention the last gorilla in the room, not not the only thing, but one major thing is communication because of language differences. Mm -hmm. A lot of the second generation folks do not speak Korean and a lot of the first generation folks do not speak uh, English. And that communication difference is very hard, so, so much so that, you know, little things become uh, areas of offense. I mean, a lot of the second generation guys who are highly educated and able come to Korean churches and they go through this kind of lowering social status mm. uh, because they were so recognized outside but at church because of language issues or barriers they're unable to serve fully as mm. they would like right and so some of those things are things that i think we wrestle with and they've often become source of frustration uh, hurts um, misunderstanding that make the ministry somewhat difficult i will say though there, there are a lot of positives uh, in the other direction in terms of the relationship on the one hand, I feel like a lot of second generation pastors look for models 
uh, who are not part of their lives. That is, if you were to ask a lot of second generation pastors, who's your mentor? Mm. Who do you look up to? They mention a lot of people that they've never met mm-hmm. or met once or twice. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's great to have Tim Keller as your model. It's great to have John Piper as your source in many ways. The downside is they don't know you. Mm. Um, you're not watching them, nor are they watching you. There is this kind of individualized way of self-raising. Now, I realize the difficulties involved, but oftentimes your local pastor and pastors with whom you labor, uh, because many of the second generation ministries, oftentimes the pastor is solo by themselves. To be surrounded by people who are wrestling with very similar things, I think more and more so you come to realize that there are reasons why they are the way they are. We may not like it, but we're seeing a model of what that maturing process looks like. When in our 30s, when you see a pastor who's in the 50s, even if the language is different, there are similar paths Mm. that they have walked. And if we are patient enough, uh, this kind of localized mentoring is an important part that we would miss out on. The second thing is, you know, going, going back to the programmatic thing, I'm not advocating for that, but there is this sense of the kind of devotion and commitment to church and faith life that first generation church has that I marvel at and often wonder about. Uh, the commitment level of the second generation church, not to speak uniformly, is comparatively speaking less. Now, I realize the argument the other way. Oftentimes, the theology behind their commitment in the first generation may be wrong. I, I acknowledge that. At the same time, I wonder if it's one extreme or the other, right? And there is an element of commitment and this kind of commitment to church and prioritizing of church that's not an unimportant part. Let me give you one practical example of people who disappear from church in my own life experience and ministry experience. When they have their first child, people disappear. (laughs) When the children are old enough to do sports, they disappear. When children are older and they become uh, empty nesters, they disappear because now they have freedom to do whatever they want to do and so on. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy life, but it's simply points out the kind of differences in priorities in terms of where their faith life is. Third thing I think that's very important for us to remember in terms of strength is when I talk to older women in the first generation church and they tell me, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I know they're praying for me. Hmm. I really know they're praying for me. Um, Oftentimes this prayer life is often spoken of but not practiced very much. And I think that's a huge weakness of many of the second generation churches. Again, generalized. But it's an important part of our growth and experience that needs to be explored further. And one last thing, since I gave four negative, I'm going to give four positive in this way. The fourth is there's a generational element. I know people can say different things about this, but one weakness of second generation church as I see it now is that everybody's 30s or 40s or something. Some are older, some are younger, but people are in the same life stage. There are huge benefits to this because sociologically, to be around people who are about your age is a good thing. It's a fun thing. And a lot of camaraderie and relationships can be built. The negative is you don't see people 10, 20, 30 years in front of you uh, whose life experience, whose pains and joys become ways for us to grow and learn as well. You know, when we see our children grow up and it seems so difficult, somebody who's 70 years old coming up to and say, you know, we've been there. 
it'll be okay. It's such a reassuring thing in many ways. And mm. oftentimes, uh, our uh, second generation churches do not have the luxury of generations that allow us to see the full or picture of what that church looks like. Mm. That is a, a lot of good stuff there. Do you think it takes a certain kind of, from a pastoral perspective, as a young pastor person to be in that kind of church? For me, for example, I don't speak Korean very well at all. I'm horrible at Korean. Do you think uh, not that I should shy away fr- from from situations such as those, but would someone have a better ability to to work in churches like that a a certain type of person or does it really not matter that's a difficult question to answer in a straightforward way because i really think it depends on the person and the circumstances and the priorities of the church there are different kinds of pastors and pastoral candidates and there are different kinds of churches so i don't think we can make too many generalizations without you know finding a lot of exceptions along the way Mm -hmm. but i will say this Practically speaking, for Korean Americans, for Korean Americans, the opportunities for ministries in the Asian American context and Korean American context cannot be cut off. That is, I hear this often from seminarians who say, you know what, because of my experience in Korean American churches and because of my past, I will never go back to a Korean American hmm. church. I, I understand this sentiment. Um, I, too, left the Korean church uh, as a seminarian here and interned at a non-Korean church because I felt convinced I will never return to a Korean American church. Um, and so that feelings of hurt as well as experience, I understand. And, and, and some of those things are very deep and genuine. At the same time, very practically speaking, ministry opportunities are not limitless. Mm-hmm. And you as a Korean American have an opportunity to serve in an area that a lot of non-Koreans do not. Mm. And to simply, by definition, dismiss an area of potential ministry is probably not the most practical thing to do. So I think that's something for us to at least ponder about. But just as much I think we have to think about is uh, uh, oftentimes our ministries go in seasons, Um They change over time. Just because you start at a Korean American ministry doesn't mean you're forever doomed to stay there. Uh, We have a local church pastor named uh, Paul Kim who is from, who is at Redeemer Church, a very diverse, dynamic church, a PCA church in the area, um, whose start was at a Korean American church, but pastors a church that's not Korean American. I know folks who went to a much more diverse church in terms of ethnic diversity, went back to Korean American churches. Seasons change in life. And I think one perspective that we need to have is not to be so black and white about where and how the Lord is intending to train us during that time period. Um, You know, most people switch ministries three to five years, and I'm not saying that that's what you should do. But don't think of commitments in one place to be a lifelong marriage. It doesn't often work that way. And just as a last comment, I think it really has to do with the the kind of environment the church is. Each individual church is very different. And I think it really has to do with the disposition and the humility of the individual who's going in. Language is a secondary issue. Language is often the first excuse for division and misunderstanding. But often that's not the main, uh, nor the primary. 
I'm not saying that it's not, you know, it's obviously easier if you have the linguistic ability to be in that context. But it's not usually about language. It's often about um, attitude. It's often about character. It's often about patience. It's often about understanding and relationship. All these things that are very pertinent for every ministry. The same thing applies for Korean American ministries as well. So I'm not saying everyone should do this. I'm simply pointing out nobody should just cut that out simply by definition because of one's experience or past. There are a lot of young people asking me, kind of like those people that you've described, people who've not even pastors, people who've been felt as though they were burned by the, you know, growing up in the Korean American church. And a lot of them ask the question, now that the second generation, by and large, they speak English, is there still a need for this gathering of just Korean Americans? In your mind, do, do you think there is a benefit to that or... or um, do you think it's unnecessary at this point? Yeah, I, I do think that the Korean American churches are in a numerical decline. Uh, part of that has to do with the decline in immigration. Another part of it has to do with the rising number of second, third, and perhaps even fourth generation Korean Americans. And in many ways, we see uh, immigrant churches before us, like the Dutch immigrant of the late 1800s and the Chinese and Japanese churches of the early 20th century. And we see these churches and the way they change and recognize that there are similarities and patterns of change that we're engaged in. If the initial question primarily focus, focuses on um, will we need Korean churches that have Korean-speaking worship service and so on, I think the answer to that is yes, minimally for another uh, generation or so, if not longer. Uh, we have a lot of 30s and 40s even now, although we have obviously older generation that prefer and still pursue worship and ministry life in Korean context. And so that need will continue to be there. I think the approximate number of Korean American churches in the States is about 4,300. Mm. Um, out of that, from what I understand, about 15% are financially and numerically viable. That usually means over 100 people in certain finances. Uh, it means that over time, about 85% of the churches uh, may not be viable for the next 30 years. Who knows exactly? I'm not, I'm not a pro I have a name of a prophet, but I'm not a prophet. Um, but it, 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 it does seem like to me that there is going to be a need for Korean-speaking worship and congregation for the foreseeable future. If the question can be slightly adjusted to say, is a Korean-American church, whether Korean-speaking or English-speaking, necessary or viable? That's an interesting question because in some ways, we are working toward making our job scarce. Uh, because the number is decreasing. And as you said, culturally or linguistically, many of us, you or I or others, can be perfectly comfortable in a non-Korean speaking arena or area. Ironically, though, the way the church uh, has blossomed thus far, a lot of the Asian American churches still flourish and thrive. That is, it may not be Korean American, but many of them find themselves being in a English speaking but culturally similar arena. And just as much, we see a, a number of folks who are returning to a Korean American context primarily without shame or sense of guilt. 
and building up those ministries in such a way that they become independent, strong on their own, uh, despite the fact that there is a mono-ethnic culture that's found within. Apart from the fundamental question of, is that right or wrong? I do find that very intriguing. That is, that what people understand and need from church is very diverse. And there is not one church that meets all those elements. And I do think that for some foreseeable time, right, such Asian American and Korean American churches will be a part of the overall rainbow of God's churches. This is where I think we have to be very careful not to be, you know, so black and white about how the Lord works within the churches and to think this is the only right way. All these are wrong ways. It's not as simple as that, I think. So here as a descriptive thing and not a prescriptive comment, do I think that we have and we need these churches to continue for some time? I do. I do. How long? Who knows? Um, no one can say that with certainty, but I think um, many of these churches are f- uh, proclaiming the church, uh, uh, the gospel of Christ faithfully. Uh, the, the, the members thereon are growing and are being faithful to the Lord. It's contributing to the church as a whole at large in many ways. And um, uh, I do think it's a necessary part of this kind of whole um, uh, development of churches that are very diverse. What are some good things and what are some bad things? You, you sort of answered this, um, but specifically within these second generation Korean American churches uh, that aren't KMEM, but, but you know, independent second generation. What are some good things that come out of there and what are some bad habits you think uh, we can break out of as the next generation? Yeah, I, I want to be careful here because I'm not I'm not a PT guy, first of all. I, and, 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 and frankly speaking, I'm not that practical. Uh, that's the second part of, uh, part of that equation. And nor am I, while having the joy and privilege of visiting many churches, it doesn't mean I know the ins and outs of um, the details of the church. I think what, one, one wonderful thing you see is just the, uh, as I was mentioning before, the energy that comes from ownership. Hmm. The buck stops with you in many ways, obviously dependent on the Lord whether it be financial or ministry engagement, here there is greater willingness and energy for that engagement. I think it also is outward facing, uh, many of these churches. That is, here oftentimes, one thing that I hear often is, oh, I can't ask my friends to come to my church because they're not Korean or Asian. Uh, and 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 here, the oftentimes these church plants and these churches are outward facing for the, the the specific purpose of evangelism and engagement around. And even further, not just evangelism, but just simply the love of the area in which the church is, love of the city mm. and engagement with what's going on, both in the school level, church level, society level. There's energy in that direction. That's very, I think, great. So I think there is this great outward facing element uh, that's a very important one hmm. because I do think that's part of the reason why there's such um, strength in a church that way. If there is a weakness, there may be many, but one of them, as I was indicating before, is the generational element of it. Hmm. That is, there's not the diversity to see the older to the younger, younger to the older. And the development in that area takes some time. Uh, for us to get to that stage. Second element is oftentimes it's the leadership 
uh, element that needs to be thought through much more so in the sense that often the pastor is solo and they're surrounded by lay leaders in some ways, but they're isolated alone. And oftentimes trying to figure out how to lead a, um, a, let's say, a session or leadership is a learning experience. And they're alone in doing so. And that, that presents some elements of missteps, uh, mistakes, learning curve that we see many of the second generation churches go through. That's going to require some time. In, in, in thinking through how do we set up this proper uh, structure in which leadership can flourish. And the same thing can be said for the last element. And, and part of that is because a lot of the second generation churches are smaller, that we don't have the kind of structure necessary also for other elements, education and others, although there's a lot of investment in that direction. And if a Korean American second generation person is choosing between, let's say, a Korean American EM that's 300 with education system set up and a Korean American or Asian American ministry with 80 people with education that's not a set up, it's a struggle for them. Mm -hmm. Because there's a huge investment for many of us with children as well. I don't think that's the primary decision-making for why you choose a church. But I do think that's an area that we're going to continue to grow in. And will require continued, um, I think, efforts in. You have the, the uh, unique opportunity to see this next generation of pastors kind of grow right before your eyes. Because you're, you're teaching them directly. Um, what are some great things that, that we should continue to cultivate? And what are some bad things... Not bad things, but maybe things that we have to work on that you see. Uh, for example, just looking at my own life, I think by and large our generation tends to be very ideal. We have big dreams. We're dreamers. And when I enter into a certain church and my dreams don't really match up with the church, I tend to want to get up and leave and go to another context thinking that that's better. And that's something that I'm kind of going through now where it's a lot of uh, looking at myself, being very critical at what are some things that keep me from being faithful to a ministry? And uh, yeah, it, it's been definitely a challenge, been a journey, but it's been a way that God has been shaping and molding me, uh, I think, character-wise. Um, what are some things in light of that that you could kind of speak on and encourage um, these guys? Justin, that's a great question. You know, you're in your 20s. I'm in my 40s. Um, when I was in my 20s, hearing from people who are in their 40s. It felt just like um, mouth moving with, uh, you know, and I'm not exactly sure how much, how many of these things stick. And I, it's amazing how much I've aged because I start sounding like my dad and others much more so than I ever. When I was in my 20s, I thought I'll never become like them. But I've become them, I, I think, in many ways. And so let me begin with that confession um, in terms of where I am in my life as well. I, I think the students and folks like you and this is not speaking simply of Korean Americans. Sure, I have a heart for Korean Americans, but we're talking people of 20s and 30s, period. This is a, 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 this is a thought process that's not unique for just Korean American churches, but the younger generation of folks and pastors and seminarians, you, you, I think you, you touched it really well. They are idealistic. Idealistic in things like this. They're global in their mindset. They're not thinking about local area only. They have a perspective and experience that's much bigger than their local area. And I really respect that. And, and they have this amazing ability to see and desire things that are bigger. Uh, and, and, and oftentimes you see this kind of social entrepreneurial attitude, you know, in seeing the desire to see impact and effect. 
I also see them as being incredibly knowledgeable and connected. I don't have Facebook. I don't have enough friends anyways. And and I to, to admit, I'm a lurker. My wife has Facebook, so I lurk on her Facebook and, and try to see what's going on. But I don't know that very well. And I, I, I realize that I'm, I'm probably uh, uh, acting older than my even age indicates. But those are not things that are necessarily priorities for me. But I see these young folks who are always connected and are able to access the incredible amount of experience and knowledge and relationship that's out there. It's amazing to see that. I think also that it's a huge strength that I, uh, the younger folks that I see even on campus here, they're incredibly mobile. Um, they're willing to pick up and go. Uh, I mean, can you imagine if that kind of a tendency and character is tapped for global missions work, mm -hmm. that they're not afraid to just pick up and go. Uh, they're not fuddy-duddies like me saying, oh, you know, I got family, I got this and this and this and this I have to worry about. If this convinces me, many of them are willing to say, I'm willing to set aside everything and go. Mm -hmm. These are traits that I see far less from more uh, sedentary, sedated people like me in my 40s, it's harder to make those decisions. And in fact, I think it's something of a generational uh, switch, not just about millennials versus Xers or et cetera. It's about life stage too, 20s and 30s versus 40s and 50s and some of those elements. And I think those are some incredible traits. I think what I want to encourage the folks as they tap into these naturally gift natural giftings that they have is one thing i just want to encourage them is just patience hmm. it's a marathon um it's not a hundred meter dash i i don't do marathons i also don't do 100 meter dashes <laughs> so i know it's 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 a it's not a comparison that's something that i know intimately but um justin if the lord blesses you the lord has placed before you 40 years of ministry 40 years it's not the next five years. And oftentimes, the next five years are important for the next 40 years. Hmm. And in that sense, I do think sometimes the younger folks are in too much of a hurry. Hmm. They need to do things yesterday. They need to see changes yesterday. And I feel like perspective of life, this is what I was talking about generations too, right? That having a long game, right, a 40-year perspective in ministry and thought process for ministry, I think is going to be an important part of how they develop and grow. I also think uh, one of the things that I want to encourage the younger brothers who are going into ministry in thinking, and sisters as well, is uh, the element of um, impact doesn't come from well-knownness. Anonymity is very important. Um, being overlooked is very important. Uh, being a nobody is very important. Hmm. Ministry is not um, that showy. It's it's really just how do I survive boredom sometimes? Because you get into a routine at times. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, our brothers who are idealistic, as you point out, they're dreamers. They want to see big impact. And when they see their itty-bitty work every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and come back again Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, it's too small for their big picture. I remember a question that was raised to Tim Keller one time. How did you learn to preach the way you did? And what's in interesting in his answer was, you do know, friends, um, he didn't say it this way, obviously, but 
I was at this unknown rural church in Virginia for 10 years, preaching three times a week, Wednesday and then twice on Sunday, for 10 years. That's minimally three times 50 Sundays, let's say, 150 times over 10 years, 1,500 sermons. This is all before he was even remotely known. And even then he wasn't known. (laughs) But I do feel like in their drive and dreams, they feel like something needs to happen right away. Their impact needs to be immediate and that their engagement has to be big. Unfortunately, I don't think that's how often often works. Anonymity is going to be your life for a long time and you're going to have to learn to live with that. Uh, Being overlooked is part of who we are. Learning how to deal with the day-to-day grind of loving people and preaching faithfully are traits that all pastors need, and especially for those who are more than willing and ready to move to another place for that sense of change and excitement. And oftentimes that's not very helpful. Last thing, and this is going to offend some people, and I don't mean to uh, say it in an offensive way at all, because this is something that all of us need, not just any generation. I hope that the younger generation, pastors and seminarians, will have uh, such a deep-seated humility in their knowledge of how much they don't know, that they're willing to listen first uh, before they speak up and criticize. This is not to say that you shouldn't push back. This is not to say you should be assertive when you need to be. This is not to say that you shouldn't have strong thoughts and convictions about who you are. But again, if you have a long-term perspective, this is a time often season to learn and grow as much as do. And learning and growing often requires us to simply listen and ask the question, why do they think this way? Is it because they're less intelligent than I am? Is it they're less experienced than I am? Is it that they don't know the circumstances very well? Or might there be other reasons why? Hearing and listening and reading people in that way, in a humble way to say, look, um, I just want to be able to understand what they're saying is an important part of, I think, our, of our growth process and experience as well. That speaks directly to me. Thank you so much. Does that's, it? Okay. that's a lot of, yeah, a lot of wisdom that, uh, that I think a lot of us do need to hear. This question is last question, sure. kind of for myself, especially being out in California now. I think in Philadelphia, everyone tends to be, I think because of the seminaries there, tends to be reformed, mm. at least one way or another. But out here in California, as a reformed guy, the spectrum is so much larger here. Um, whether you're reformed or not reformed, um, how do you, how can we work better with uh, these people without having barriers up? Um, if if you know what I mean, how, how would we uh, cooperate together in furthering the kingdom of God? Although theologically we have differences, whether vastly different or, or similar in some ways. Yeah, I think I think. <laughs> Yeah, Southern California is a unique place, and, and so is California in general. Reformed folks are distinct minority, very, very much so, and we have diverse group of theological trends and directions. I think if I can just encourage, and this is an encouragement for myself as well as uh, uh, my brothers who are in ministry together, on the one hand, I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that we don't have a corner market on all truths. A posture of learning is a very important one. And recognizing that these Christian brothers stand arm in arm against many of the secular uh, cultural issues that separate believers versus unbelievers, first and foremost, before one uh, theological tradition over against another. 
I don't mean to minimize the differences. Those are real and important. But we have to have a, a perspective that recognizes that there is a bigger battle taking place in terms of belief versus unbelief that should take precedence in terms of our thinking. The second thing I would uh, I would encourage is to say we need to put the main things as main things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to major in the majors, not in the minors. And it, this is not just about one tradition versus another tradition. Even within our tradition, um, we have differences among reform folks that really gets into small things that are important because we want to be faithful to the Lord, but not germane to who we are and what our faith is. Same thing with other traditions as well. We share a lot in terms of our commonality and convictions regarding the gospel and the word. And when we unite around the main and the major, I think we'll be very surprised at how much we do agree. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke at a church, a Korean American, Asian American church primarily, pastored by a, um, a, a master's grad, a different tradition than where we come from, but oftentimes when you when you see them, they love the word, hmm. and and there are avenues of connection and bridges that bring us together that allows us to you know think from inside out in terms of what the core, main, major things are, and learning to be major in those things. These I, I think very important, lest people hear otherwise from me. I'm, I'm a confessional reform person. I don't mean to say that we give things up, but it simply means that while we have our base secure, our conviction secure, our security allows us to engage and discuss those things that unite all of us together. And there should be no fear or nor defensiveness in that direction. And the last thing is, I think the traditions being so varied here allows us to engage with pastors and churches that are very diverse. And and the pastors of local churches engaging in those conversations. There are so many groups here, you know, whether it be campus groups, KCM or uh, um, crew or others, or or ministries like Sola or uh, um, you know Synergy and in CCN. You know, there's so many different groups that are taking place that allows for conversations to take place across traditional means, building friendships that allow us to not see them as our adversary or um, someone who's different than us, but uh, the conversations and relationships that allow us to see our commonality first, I think are important, just everyday experiences and engagement that's beneficial to us. Thank you so much. This was so helpful to me personally, and I hope that it becomes helpful for a lot of other people. Um, I'm hoping you can join us again. Um, Yeah, thank you so much again. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for listening, and join us on the next Direct Trade Initiative podcast. See ya.